when you're starting companies, you have, you know, there's, there's lots of um, different areas that you can focus on, right? And I think one of the things that we um, have really been able to uh, stick to our principles on is uh, trying to bring value to the areas that we think we can bring unique value to, uh, and then trying to partner uh, where we think that there are others already doing, uh, providing like great value in those places. Hello and welcome to the Autonicast. I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I am the Communications Director for Partners for Automated Vehicle Education and the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And I'm Alex Roy, the founder of the No Parking Podcast, the Human Driving Association, an occasional advocate for autonomous vehicles. Occasional. Interesting. Your title changes every time. And I'm Kirsten Korosek, Senior Transportation Reporter with TechCrunch. And today we are joined by actually two people we've been trying to have on this show forever, uh, Nancy's son and Randall Aiken, both from Ike. And Nancy, I'm going to let them jump in and sort of give us the backstory a little bit, but Nancy's chief engineer and co-founder and Randall's head of systems, which sounds like a very important job seeing as that, you know, autonomous vehicles is sort of typically a systems approach. You don't want to be too compartmentalized, do you? Also sufficiently vague, hopefully. Yeah. It's almost as vague as Alex's head of special projects. It's like, what exactly happens? It's a secret. <laughs> but special. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So Alex, do you have any very important questions or shall I kick things off? For, for the sake of fairness, you should kick things off. Okay. Well, we were just talking before we jumped on that trucking has become like, you know, the hot new trend in AVs. But I, when it first started, it's sort of, I think, has always been, at least from my um, understanding, has always the approach has always been trucking. But Nancy, maybe you can go into the Wayback Machine and give me a bit of the origin story about, you know, whether you really were always focused on trucking. And um, if not, how you landed on trucking. Sure thing. Um, uh, we have always been focused on trucking. I think um, as uh, as founders, Alden, you and myself and, and the, the early team um, have worked in the automation industry for a while um, and um, have really come to grow uh, both like through learning about the trucking industry, really come to grow passionate um, about the, the way the industry can impact our lives and how technology can meaningfully uh, impact that industry um, in, in really positive ways. Uh, and and so for us, it's always been a, a really amazing fit um, in an industry that needs um, uh, technology uh, and technology's uh, ability to be able to fit the needs of the industry. Um, I think there's a, a couple of uh, really interesting um, statistics we like to talk about. Um, the first is that uh, almost everything we use has been on a truck at some point in its life, right? Like, you know, everything, the, the, the technology that we're talking on today, the desks that we're sitting at, the food and drink that we consume, um, probably been on a truck. Uh, and um, and it's it, essentially the way goods move around our country. Um, and, and, and yet it's also the deadliest profession in the US, over 4,000 deaths annually um, from, from trucking. Um, there's a labor shortage um, and really poor retention uh, for truck drivers. Um, and then the workforce is also aging, like the median age continues to rise year on year. Um, and then I think the, the last one that's really interesting is that uh, 
the hours of service rules um, around trucking create this massive inefficiency uh, in the utilization uh, of our trucks. Our trucks, you know, these really expensive assets um, are actually only utilized for like 30% of their lives uh, because uh, drivers have limitations um, for good reason um, around the number of hours they're able to drive every day. Mm -hmm. uh, and so none of these problems are getting better. Um, E-commerce continues to pressure our supply chains. Uh, and, uh, and we think that focusing on um, automating the transportation of freight on highways um, has a meaningful uh, impact on our ability to be able to address the safety of our highways, the labor shortage, the aging workforce, uh, the utilization of these assets. Mm -hmm. But it, it, you were over at Apple, this was years ago, working on special projects, which is always has to me has always been code word for something to do with self-driving vehicles. Were you interested in trucks even back then? Or was that something that sort of came about either through um, when you jumped over to um, auto and then which later became acquired by Uber? I've always had an interest in transportation more generally. I've, I've worked um, across both electrification and automation for um, over the last decade now. Uh, and, and I think for me, I've always been um, really trying to find the intersection of uh, industry need um, and technology's ability to be able to impact that need. Uh, and so trucking was really, I think, a, a, a very intuitive um, attraction for me. Um, as uh, something that's a structured approach for auto for automation, um, and you know, as we talked about the the need for the industry that that we could actually help there. So I, I don't want to um, make any mischaracterizations, but I I understand. I will. Um, I, yeah, that's Alex's job. Um, <laughs> I guess Ike has a, a relationship with Neuro, um, which people know from the um, sort of uh, occupantless delivery bot sort of uh, not on the sidewalk though on the road um can you just explain sort of what that relationship is um and and sort of yeah what what the the logic behind it is yeah uh, we essentially seeded the company uh with a, a with a well, a license and a and a fork of neuro's uh, entire stack um in, in, at that time and that that license is perpetual irrevocable etc um and Basically, um, what it gives us is what at the time we thought was was basically a huge head start um, as we built out the technology uh, for trucking. Um, and the, the the seed of it was really, you know, the early team realizing that, you know, we've done the kind of first two years of building an automation company uh, multiple times already. Um, and uh, and to varying degrees of um of success or goodness, right? In, in, in terms of the quality of, um, of that stack um, and had an opportunity to um, essentially get a copy of NeuroStack, which, you know, we spent a bunch of time doing due diligence on um, in the early days as part of Neuro uh, and really understood the, um, uh, the, the, the quality of the work that they had built there um, and really excited about being able to leverage that um, and in, in, in order to, um, you know, accelerate the, our development for uh, our, our particular use case and, and, and product on highways. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fascinating because as, as Kirsten said, right, like, like trucks have become uh, this, this real focus. And obviously there, there are companies who've sort of had their eye on that market from, from day one. Um, but there are other, there are other companies that are sort of pivoting to, toward that. Um, there's also sort of a, a variety of perspectives in terms of sort of whether or not it makes sense to kind of develop one platform that can be used in everything from 
a semi truck to, you know, a robo taxi um, uh, versus how different they have to be just in, in your experience, like how, how different is a, a an automation system um, for a, a truck versus a semi truck um, versus a delivery, you know, a last mile application like Neuro is doing, how, how different are those? Yeah. Great question. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll kick us off and I, and I bet Randall will have um, some things he wants to add as well. Um, the, the way the way I think about it is really that there are definitely aspects um, for all autonomy efforts that that you know and to a certain extent can be shared. Um, uh, but you quickly uh, you know need to develop for your application. Uh, and so you know what we did by leveraging the um, the neuro stack is got access to really all of the shared pieces that they developed really well. so a high quality mapping system, um, Really strong uh, infrastructure for uh, log playback, um, you know, basic pipelines uh, for uh, feeding perception and labels, um, stuff like that. Uh, and, and those are things that, you know, especially at an early stage, uh, can really be adopted for different types of applications. Um, and then as you get more, uh, you know, further in time, um, more detailed into the development, uh, you really start understanding that, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that are different depending on what application you're developing for. Uh, and so trucking has a bunch of unique uh, aspects, um, one of them being how large the vehicle is. Uh, and so the sensor configuration has to accommodate for that to be able to still see 360 degrees uh, of the environment around you. Um, it has the added complexity of um, driving a, a very heavy load, uh, but very fast. Um, and so you know all of the um, implications for sensing range um, and controls um, of an articulated tractor trailer combination. Um, uh, it has uh, the the benefit of actually not carrying any passengers, right? And so uh, this is, a, I think, a common refrain that people now moving into into trucking are saying. But uh, it, you know, you never have to sacrifice um, safety for comfort, right? You never have to worry about a bad experience for a bar of soap in the same way that you have to worry about a bad experience for um, for for a, a person riding in a vehicle. Um, so, um, but but let me let me um, pause there and, and actually let Randall chime in um, on his, some of his thoughts as well. Yeah, I think it's I, I agree with all of that. I think the other important thing to remember is that autonomy or automated software development is really a twofold problem, right? Where the first part of the problem is getting software to work really well, and then the second part of the problem is showing that it works really well. And so, as we think about a software stack. There's quite a bit of overlap in the underlying capabilities and the underlying architectures for the software can be quite similar. But then when you actually get to the hard work of showing that it works, driving around in neighborhoods in Arizona doesn't do much for you to show that that same stack works on a truck on the highway. Hmm, interesting that you mentioned Phoenix. Is that like maybe a, <laughs> a slight reference to like the ride hailing approach that Waymo does and because it's more suburban or is it? Yeah, you know, Phoenix is a popular choice for a lot of folks, um, and there there are a few others as well, but uh, not a specific reference to any particular company. All right, so I have a question. Um, what I understand of this neuro stack, who manufactures the trucks, and then who owns the trucks, and what is the relationship between you, the truck manufacturer, and your customers? Because I'm reading a fascinating article about you on Medium about a sale of a thousand trucks. So break, deconstruct that for us. Yeah, well, great, great question. And I think first thing to clarify is it's, it's actually Ike's stack at this point. Um, so, you know, we have this license, but, uh, you know, we've essentially spent 
over two years now um, building uh, ourselves. And so we really think of it um, as, as very much um, uh, differentiated at this point in time. Um, so uh, one, one clarification there. Um, I think in terms of um, your other questions in terms of uh, you know, our, our business model and in terms of who owns the trucks, who buys them, et cetera, um, I think we really have a, a differentiated uh, approach in this way. Um, what we are, you know, I think when you're starting companies, you have, you know, there's there's lots of um, different areas that you can focus on, right? And I think one of the things that we um, have really been able to uh, stick to our principles on is uh, trying to bring value to the areas that we think we can bring unique value to, uh, and then trying to partner uh, where we think that there are others already doing, uh, providing like great value in those places. Uh, and and I think the way we think about um, how to build a business here uh, follows those same principles, right? Like, you know, in a in a traditional sense, um, the value chain uh, works where tier ones make components, they sell those to um, OEMs, uh, the truck manufacturers. The truck manufacturers then sell those vehicles uh, to fleets, uh, and then fleets sell their uh, services to shippers. Yeah, in the in, in that way, what we want to do as Ike is actually enable this like value chain that works really well already to continue to work uh, in that way, and then partner um, in a bunch of different ways to be able to enable um, trucks that are powered by our technology uh, to be purchased by fleets and operated by those fleets to move goods um, around the country. Um, so more specifically, what we look to do is uh, partner with the tier ones and OEMs to develop the technology. Um, and then to uh, license that technology um, on, on trucks uh, that are powered by our technology to the fleets uh, and then have fleets continue to, um, to, to, to work with the shippers directly. So how do you get, so how, how do you drive, generate revenue from, from selling the, the trucks with the technology that's been integrated or are you being paid by the mile? Like how does that work? Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a great question. So I think um, it's worth mentioning here also that I think most others in this space are focused on being fleets themselves. Uh, and so, you know, building up a large fleet of vehicles, owning those, operating those, um, interfacing directly with the shippers. Um, and like you know, too simple. Exactly. There's a, and it's understandable why, why folks might want to, to do that, right? Like you're highly leveraged in the supply chain, um, et cetera. But, but then you also have all the downsides of having to own and operate your own fleet, right? You have to develop all these competencies uh, around operations that, to be honest, Silicon Valley is not known for, um, uh, but the fleets themselves have spent, you know, decades getting really good at that. Um, and so, um, so I think there's a trade-off that that one has to make there. And 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 we think that by focusing on um, building our technology, um, it, it, what it enables us to do is uh, essentially focus on um, increasing utilization of fixed assets, right? So these trucks that sit idle for a large period of time, uh, we can actually have those be in use for much long, much more of their, their useful lives um, and, um, and essentially um, monetize on more of a software as a service type of model. So, so you're also, um, you're working with class eight trucks, um, maybe for folks who are not super familiar with the ins and outs of trucking, what kind of applications um, are those trucks going to be used in? Is this really long haul stuff? Is this sort of more intermediate uh, range sort of what 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 are the sort of distances and and um, kinds of of businesses that you envision your your system working in? Yeah, so we we think of ourselves um, much more um, in the in the um, 
uh, long haul than in the kind of like short haul local delivery route. So we're focused really on the, the analogy we like to draw is essentially turning the highway system into a conveyor belt. Uh, and so we really think about operating um, from uh, launch and landing zones uh, on sides of uh, highways, doing handoffs on the sides of highways uh, to manually driven trucks, uh, which then take those loads over to distribution centers. Uh, what that enables us to be able to do is focus our technology on developing for a more structured highway environment, um, and then uh, enables us to uh, be able to then hand off um, and create truck driving jobs for uh, where truck drivers add a ton of value, um, which is on the uh, really difficult to automate short haul sections, um, navigating surface streets, um, city roads, et cetera. So I have a question about that. I've, I've heard this, you know, it's called a, a couple different things, and I'm sure there's nuanced differences between between what I, how you see that working. But to me, the one big issue there is sort of the, what I would think of as that handoff area and the sort of infrastructure you would need. And in in the past, I've to ask people about it and they're like, well, you know, this is like exits already exist. But I mean, if you look at the US, we already have sort of an infrastructure problem, right? Like just existing infrastructure. You see rest areas closed and falling apart. So how do you think through that? I mean, is there a place now to sort of get up and running without a lot of um, investment? Would it be about private enterprise investing in, you know, sections of real estate and setting up these, you know, handoff zones? Or how do you see that? And is that even a major challenge to like the business model side of it, the actual execution side of the operations? Sure. I think it's worth um, thinking about the, the response to this question in, in a couple of different timeframes. Uh, and so I think, you know, one is there's, there's the, the very long term. Um, where automated trucks are moving freight along our highways um, and uh, and essentially distribution centers and 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 other facilities warehouses um, have actually changed their locations in order to be able to become more efficient uh, plugins to uh, to the city the, the highway arterials um, that the automated trucks are moving around um, and uh, and so there's like kind of that long term right like you know uh, automated trucking is um, at massive scale, um, moving goods around the entire um, entire world. Uh, and then I think there's um, the short term, which is like you know, in the, the 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 parlance of Silicon Valley, over the next you know handful of years, um, around um, you know how do we uh, prove that this technology can exist um, and 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 get to scale. Uh, and, and I think there's actually a bunch of um, different, like really lightweight ways to do that on existing um, uh, terrain already. And so it doesn't require huge uh, operational or, or you know, facilities uh, construction projects uh, to be able to, to do a handoff. Um, and, uh, and we think that there's ways uh, to be able to do this uh, across a number of different uh, geographies and, and highway lanes. Um, without having to invest a ton into um, building new um, new facilities for this, at, at least uh, in the near term, um, and and you know when we're at scale, I think that's a a bit of a um, a, a different question um, that uh, we think there's also a lot of potential for um, for addressing. So we should be thinking, you know, you you put out two scenarios, and I don't, I know that no one really likes to talk about timelines anymore because all the timelines have sort of exploded. But Tesla is <laughs> releasing full self-driving any day now. 
Right, right, right. Uh, exactly. And but how should we be thinking it in terms of timing, or is it even too early to you know when when you put out those two scenarios, is one a few years away and one you know twenty years out, or how should we be thinking about this as as sort of outsiders in the know, but outsiders nonetheless? Yeah, and I knew this question was going to come up. Um, I think the the way we think about well, I, I'll say two things. Um, first is the framework for how we think about timing, um, right? We think there's a, a handful of phases that the technology needs to go through. Uh, there's the prototype phase that that you know many people have been through. Um, there's this uh, you know core development phase, um, which is really around uh, you know developing the technology, building the validation workflows. Um, setting our requirements, testing to those requirements, uh, releasing to the road, uh, launching a beta product, things like that. Um, there's really the, then there's a launch phase, uh, which is really around um, removing the the driver from the automation system. Uh, and then you know there's you, and you launch with a small number of vehicles, right? And then you can scale the number of vehicles and, and expand the geographies that you're working on. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, you know, even, even when we first, um, uh, first started the company, we've been, uh, really strong believers, uh, in patience around the development of this technology because it is so hard and so complex, um, and has so many interdependencies and moving parts, right? Like, you know, you know, we, uh, as we talked about, uh, earlier in this, um, are really keen on wanting to partner with the existing ecosystem to be able to make this happen. Uh, and that's in a large part because we think that other people can do those things really well. And also, um, can do them faster than we could, right? So what we want to do is be able to help accelerate their development um, in in, um, in in pursuing a um, a fully automated um, truck product uh, without having to take on you know it's sort of a divide and conquer perspective, right? Um, the hard so, part so, is the the hard part. Sorry to interrupt, but the the hard part is and you and this is why I find I pretty a pretty interesting company is that. We're surrounded of, of an environment, and and you were part of it um, at one point with Auto. I mean, we saw like this massive acquisition happen. I mean, granted, what was published at the time didn't exactly play out that way, or other companies raising tens of millions of dollars because of this long runway. But ICAT's kind of set out not to do that necessarily. Like it sounds, and it, you you haven't, you know. Like some companies, um, and maybe maybe you can clarify this. Like, what is? How do you sustain that type of runway and the hard work and be patient without running out of money? Um, because you haven't done, you know, the same levels of fund fundraising that like some of the other companies have. So, is that? I, I know I've talked to Alden in the past, and it sounds like it's kind of like a philosophical approach, but. I just don't know how you can do it because it seems like so expensive to have really t- talented engineers for recruitment and have that sort of patience to be able to really do the hard work and not rush it. Yeah, I mean, we we you, you probably talked to Alden about this, but um, we have a um, an internal catchphrase that we call um, "moving long term fast." Um, you know, and for us, like, it, you know, we're not looking to be the first to take the driver out of the seat. Companies have done that already. Auto did that, right? <laughs> Um, but, but we're really looking to be the first to get to a commercial product at scale. Uh, and so when we talk about being long-term fast, that's like really orienting around, like, how do we get the fastest to that point in time? Um, and, uh, and certainly it's our responsibility as uh, developers of the technology to be able to paint a clear roadmap, 
uh, between where we are today and, and, and how to get there. Uh, and, and, and I think that's, um, you know, to, 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 to people who like working on really hard problems, like, you know, in many ways, there's, there's not a better problem here, right? Like the, the, um, the impact is huge. Trucking is a, is a, is a, you know, massive industry, um, that has real inefficiencies for the technology to be able to address. And so there's a, there's a huge, um, I think motivation to be able to, uh, to work towards that end goal. Um, and, uh, and I think the, the, the companies that are able to really chart, uh, the right type of progress towards getting there, um, are going to be the ones, um, that, that, um, you know, are able to make traction in the space. Um, but let me, let me, I, 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 my, my guess is that Randall has some thoughts here. And so, um, would like to uh, hear from him too. Yeah. I think the main thing that I would add is that uh, there's an additional component beyond patience, which is, is also strategy, right. And the, uh, development strategy that we've taken is, I think, a bit different than other companies where uh, we've, Nancy and I both have in uh, prior lives, uh, done the task of strapping sensors and actuators onto a vehicle and, and getting it to drive itself. And we found that that's just not a particularly powerful technology proof point. And similarly, we've found in, in other environments that actually by raising a lot of money and growing large fleets of vehicles to test autonomy software can actually slow you down. So our goal in this is to take a development approach that especially in the early days can be asset light and really speeds our development toward a long-term product instead of sort of uh, growing large fleets, uh, racking up miles and, uh, and using that as, as proving our, our technology's value. Can you can you just elaborate on that a little bit specifically the part where um you know you're talking about how it this can actually slow you um what how yeah it's a great question so we we talk about this a lot internally that often what we find is that uh road miles so miles of of uh testing on the road can be sort of a crutch for uh long term development so if you think about comparing a test result from a simulation to a test result uh, driven in the real world, it takes a lot more upfront work to get the simulation to a high enough fidelity where you can trust its output uh, to say that a particular function is working or a particular requirement is met. It's much easier to just deploy some beta software to a vehicle and test it and see if it works. So we have really gone to pains in the early days of Ike to make sure that we're building scalable tools that will allow us to develop and test our autonomy software uh, without relying on the crutch of just having vehicles available where you can go run uh, what we think of as like dev experiments, right? So, and the, the, the way, the other way in which it slows you down is that it actually is really costly and, uh, and really challenging to maintain a large fleet of automated vehicles. You have like configuration management problems, you have uh, upkeep problems, and, and all these problems are compounded when you're talking about uh, trucks instead of uh, passenger vehicles. Greetings, Atonicat Nation. Pardon the interruption. We know you're all anxious to hear the rest of the show, but we need a minute of your time. Actually, Kirsten, we need a few minutes. Okay, fine. Well, let's be clear. We don't need your time as much as your information. You might have heard that we have created a survey. 
hold up, let's provide some context here. What started as a fun side project has turned into something much bigger than we ever expected. And so it's time for us to grow up just a little. And to do that, we need to better understand our audience. We created a survey to do just that. The data fields are mostly optional, but the more you provide, the more you help. Importantly, we will never share your personal information with anyone. Filling out this survey is the most effective way to help us make this podcast everything it can be. So please take a few minutes to visit atonicast.com slash survey and help us understand who you are and how we can improve. Thanks. So is there a truck manufacturer or manufacturers um, with whom you've completed the first integration and are running even a limited set of vehicles on routes that are or resemble the routes of customers like DHL and Ryder that are mentioned in your press release? Yeah. So our fleet, our fleet today, we, um, this is all, all public information. We have it posted on our website. Um, something that would be interesting to, to talk a little bit more, get, get more in depth into is um, some of the work that we've done around transparency um, as it relates to, uh, to safety. I love um, that idea. That's why I'm interested in learning about Ike. Perfect. Um, the, uh, so, so we, we have a fleet of six trucks. Um, they operate today, uh, actually, you know, almost exclusively just driving manual miles on geographies that um, are very similar uh, to what we believe we will launch in. Um, and uh, we essentially are using all of that manual data collect uh, to be able to feed our technology development um, in ways that, that Randall just described. Uh, and, and, and the value of that for us is um, around the ability to use a small fleet to really be able to scale our technology development in ways that you can't if you're just doing um, you know, pure dev testing uh, style uh, autonomy work um, and, uh, and, and really allows us to um, be able to move quickly without having to have um, huge risk exposure in terms of operating lots of vehicles with uh, different configurations, uh, different versions of software, et cetera. So this is really interesting because, um, and I, I want to get more into like I've been looking at your your safety case and and there's some of the stuff that you're you're alluding to that I want to get into, but but sort of feel like before before we get into that, um, I, I kind of want to just uh, hear you uh, talk a little bit about your your sort of philosophy. And I guess this is really a question for for Randall, but in terms of really seeing autonomy in a lot of ways as a systems engineering problem versus like for example. Um, a lot of times it's popular perceived as popularly perceived as sort of purely like just an AI problem, um, which is a different thing than saying it's sort of uh, fundamentally a, a systems engineering problem. I, I was actually supposed to to, to host an event um, or moderate a, a panel uh, with, I think, uh, was it both of you um, uh, that, that had to be canceled because of, of coronavirus? And, and it was sort of about this and, and just our conversation about it was like super eye-opening for me. Um, so I was just hoping that you could sort of talk about that sort of philosophical view of the problem. Yeah, sure. So I think there are maybe a, a couple um, useful things to begin with just as, as reminders. Uh, one is that automotive safety for OEMs over the past uh, you know, several decades has really been focused around making sure that the vehicle itself is safe, uh, but really doesn't tell you anything about how safe the driver is, right? So a lot of the automotive standards that exist today are really geared toward uh, making sure that the vehicle is, is safe. And 
that all sort of lives within what folks in the industry call sort of functional safety. Uh, and that really has to do with how the vehicle is robust to different failures that can happen. So an airbag sensor fails or a, a park brake switch fails, how does the vehicle respond to it? And with automation uh, software, we're really asking a different question, which is how well is the system driving, right? And at a high level, the way to think about that as a systems problem is as a, uh, I think about it in terms of boxes with inputs and outputs, right? So for an automation system, an automation system is interacting with the environment in all, all sorts of ways. It's interacting with the environment from the light that it receives from various sensors to commands from an operator that's inside of the cab to uh, all of the labeled data that goes into the perception pipeline that, that is used to train our perception models. So all of those turn into inputs and outputs of the system. And what makes this a hard problem is that uh, the number of inputs and their variables are uncountable, essentially. Like the, you can think of this as the, um, the number of photons that come into the system or the uh, forces that act on the vehicle. It's essentially infinite, right? And so this just poses a, a fundamentally different problem than what we're typically used to, to thinking of in, in terms of uh, automotive safety analysis. And the way we've found uh, so far to tackle this problem is uh, really through accident analysis tools that were originally developed for things like uh, chemical processing plants and aircraft, uh, and even like things like voting systems. And so uh, it's this thing called systems theoretic process analysis from uh, MIT that we've really used as sort of our guiding framework for, for thinking about uh, a more holistic and, and a more systems-driven approach to safety that goes beyond thinking about the failures of individual switches and resistors and more about how we make sure that under all of these uh, different condi conditions, our uh, system uh, obeys the rules and uh, adheres to specific constraints. So th is this was this part of your pitch to Ryder and DHL to to close the deal for these trucks, which remain yet to be delivered? Was the safety case, this was this the core of the pitch? I think it was uh, certainly part of the discussion. And I think that it's something that is, is really one of Ike's strengths as a team is that at the end of the day, uh, everybody on the team at Ike is, is in, to some degree uh, a systems thinker and in designing for the safety of the system as a whole. And I think that where we really uh, gain traction when we talk to external customers is recognizing that this is not purely a software problem. It's not purely uh, an electrical problem. It's not purely a mechanical problem. That it's when we bring these elements together uh, that we really get a full picture of the safety case for these vehicles. So are, we have, I mean, I don't know. The Atonicast has had, I think on more than once, um, Stefan. Uh, Stefan, the, the CEO and founder of, of Achmacher from Starsky Robotics, who said, and, and he is, since he uh, is no longer, since Starsky ceased operations, he's written a number of blog posts about how difficult it was for him to make, um, to explain safety as a concept to investors primarily. That was, that was his bottleneck. Uh, is your pro and partners, by the way, like that was one that the one of the big things, yeah. So, 
uh, is this the bottleneck beyond everything else is conveying the safety case? Gosh, I think that this is a huge uh, challenge across the industry. And I think that this is actually one where uh, the work to be done for trucking is is more tractable, in my opinion, uh, than passenger vehicles on, on surface streets. So ultimately, what we're trying to do at Ike is come up with metrics that are clean ways of communicating uh, how assured our system is when we put it out on the road in a way that can be uh, digested by industry partners, external stakeholders, uh, regulators in, in, in a transparent way. And transparency is key in all of this. And I think where uh, we really hit some challenges is, is that this is a hard problem and the technology used to address it is also super complicated. And so we need to figure out ways of creating measures of safety that are accurate and precise without being overly reductionist, right? And so uh, we're actually targeting putting out a white paper at the end of this year that walks through some of our uh, metrics and how we calculate those to measure our high level, uh, you can think of it as level of assurance of the system when, uh, when we're in this development phase. Well, one, one quick thing though, white papers are very helpful, um, but not always to the audience you're trying to convince. And it gets back to that sort of demo issue, which we've at the Atonicast have absolutely like, you know, certainly uh, criticized um, in certain cases. And, and we understand that's so easy to put together a demo, but at the same time, it can be really valuable, um, I would think, uh, because it does provide a very quick visual for maybe those industry partners. So, I mean, have you, do you, it seems like you're kind of taking on purpose what could potentially be a much harder path, maybe the right path, but like definitely a much harder path in terms of accurately explaining and getting um, partners who might not have the expertise that you do to truly understand and also to stand apart from competitors. I mean, is that a correct, am I way off base there? Or, or? I think, well, I think that there are a couple things to, to, to remember in all this. One is that uh, fleets today uh, that operate with human drivers have really useful metrics for safety. And they also have uh, tools that they use in their everyday workflows to examine how, how safe their fleet operations are. And we think about it in the same way. So when we think about metrics for our, uh, our system, we really think about it in terms of measures of safety of a fleet of trucks dri- driving with Ike software. And so, you know, one of the reasons that we do things like get these white papers out and publish 100-page safety reports is because this absolutely cannot be done in a vacuum. It has to be iterative and it has to leverage the feedback that we get from customers, fleet partners, and from this trucking industry, which, by the way, has like a really amazing safety record, uh, all things considered. And so we want to work with those folks to come up with metrics that uh, are palatable and can be understood and and are coached in the same terms as this industry that already has a very great uh, safety record. Kind of building off what Kirsten is asking, right? Like, like it's fascinating. One of the the most one of the narratives about autonomous driving uh, um, driving automation that that really people seem to be able to get 
um, really, really easily is um, because it's just, it's very simple. In fact, to the point of, I would argue, maybe being a little misleading, but the idea that, right, like that uh, you can almost sort of brute force the problem, that it's fundamentally a data problem, right? That you put as many vehicles on the street, as much data as you can out of them. You know, if you have more data than everyone else, um, you know, your sort of the, the, the AI aspect of this machine learning part of this is going to be so much better. Um, and that that's really sort of fundamentally what's going to make a difference. And it seems like both in terms of your sort of operation, having a relatively small fleet, only six trucks, um, uh, but then also sort of the systems focus um, is is really different. Sort of like where does where does the rubber hit the road f- for you with that in terms of, you know, what why is it? Is it is it easier or, or better to to sort of do it your way versus sort of really depending more on the on the AI piece and, and just trying to get as much data as possible? I think this is where I'd I'd call back to the question of uh, the, the sort of two different discrete problems of developing automated driving software and then showing that it works right for development uh, data has a huge role to play and it does uh, with Ike just as it does with uh, so many other technology developers in this space. And this is why we have vehicles uh, collecting data in manual mode. But the way that you use that data, particularly for validation, uh, it needs to be strategic in some sense, that throwing more data at the problem uh, will not result in a self-driving truck that works under all conditions. It's it's a bit like... Um, mowing a lawn with a pair of scissors where it's like, maybe you can get there, but it kind of depends on how big the lawn is and there are probably better ways of doing it. And so when when we think about this as a systems problem, we think about like, where are the parts of this where we're going to be able to make a difference by just throwing more data at it versus where do we need to go do targeted testing? Where do we need to take a component to a lab? Uh, because those things matter too, right? And it's not always just uh, coming down to, to data volumes. So I'm looking at your your website and I'm looking at a very lovely graphic that could have come off of the Apple website, which shows a a truck on a blue route uh, between two uh, handoff two handoff points. Um, and it's depicting how, how you guys are going to operate. Uh, is there uh, teleoperation involved between the handoff point and these terminals? Like, how is that going to work? Yeah, we have not focused on teleoperation. I mean, I think teleoperation generally is a pretty big bucket, but specifically in terms of having somebody at a computer monitor piloting a truck, uh, we think this is really hard uh, for commercial vehicles where context matters a lot. It's a big machine um, that's often moving at uh, highway speeds, even in these teleoperation cases. And so we think it's just a hard problem and, and usually not the right thing to do. So we're not specifically uh, pursuing that as as a technology path. So at the handoff points, your driver will get out? That's right. And Nancy, feel free to chime in here too. Yeah, I think one, maybe one thing I'll add is like, I think traditionally people think of uh, the concept of teleoperations as applied to trucking to, you know, in an automated way, be able to do that kind of like last mile um, between the handoff point to the distribution center, the warehouse, um, and uh, uh, you know, it, and and then have the computer be able to do the the highway section, right? And um, you know, we think that you know our, we're focused on on um, on building the highway automation system, um, and then we're focused on um, 
enabling truck drivers to be able to finish um, the the route from the handoff location to the warehouse. Um, we think it, it's a it's a really good use of people uh, to be able to do those jobs that require high skills um, and uh, and an opportunity as well to um, you know I think if you're on a website you probably got a chance to um, check out the labor study that we did uh, about a year ago uh, as well, um, where we essentially model this type of uh, product deployment um, and work with um, a researcher at Yale, economist there, to um, understand what the impact to jobs is uh, for this 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 product model, um, and I'm trying to really understand what our impact is to truck drivers, right? Because you know that they. Um, in, in in many ways, just like fleets and OEMs, uh, they are partners of ours that, that we need to work with in order to enable this technology. Yeah. So so in your your safety um, report, I mean, you talk a lot about the development process. Um, like it, it almost, and I you know again don't want to mischaracterize it, but it seems like there's almost as much focus on safety in the development process as is the safety of the system itself. Um, like they seem to be almost like equally important um where you know why is that so important because again i think there too you know a lot of times you know people will think well you know uh avs will never always be 100 percent safe there will be crashes but it will all sort of be worth it um when this technology is mature it'll save so many lives that you know why does that logic not hold up for you why why does the 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 testing process need to be so so safety focused? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think the first thing to say on this is to remember that what we're talking about is an 80,000 pound load driving at, at highway speeds. So the stakes are high here, even during testing and development. And uh, at IAKE, that's something that we're always keeping top of mind. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is that we really believe that the things that we're doing today in this development period are building the muscles that are ultimately going to make us a successful uh, SaaS automated driving company. And so as a little bit of history for our safety report, essentially the way that this went was we got together in the early days of Ike to figure out uh, when we were going to put a truck onto uh, public roads. And we really asked the question, well, Let's start by defining what do we need to do to, to prove to ourselves that the system is ready to operate on public roads. Uh, it, this is with an operator behind the wheel uh, during the, this is, and also during early stages of development. Uh, so we worked for that, worked on that problem for about a year. And then uh, the first version of our safety report was essentially the, the output of that work to say to the world, here's what we plan to do. These are the criteria that we're going to satisfy. Uh, in order to convince ourselves that our system is uh, sufficiently capable to go out onto the road. And then fast forward a year later, uh, we came back and published an update to our safety report to say, okay, we've met the criteria that we said we were going to, and now we think that we're in good shape to operate on public roads. And really the goal here is to set precedent so that in the future, we'll publish an update to our safety report that says, here are the criteria that we're going to meet uh, in order for us to pull a driver from behind the wheel and then publish an update to the safety report to say, here, here's the safety case. This, these are the criteria that we're satisfying that are uh, is giving us the evidence that we need to um, operate without a, a, somebody behind the wheel. Um, so we are 
as per usual, y'all, way over our allotted time. But um, and I feel like we just barely brushed the surface about what Ike is doing. We haven't so even we, asked them how they feel about Nikola or Tesla trucks. I know. So, or by the way, we haven't asked how they feel about Tesla releasing full self-driving. <laughs> I know. Is that is that something that that you'd be? I know everyone in the space tries to not comment on what each other are doing too much, but um, I mean, this is a pretty like distinct moments in terms of a company coming out and doing some pretty different stuff, especially very different to, to sort of your approach, um, which is to not put anything on the road until it's, until it's really ready. Um, is there a chance that you'd be willing to, <laughs> to, to share? Any I, you're not supposed that? to ask it that way. You don't yeah. need to ask permission. Just say, Nancy, come on, tell us, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, Nancy. Yeah, come on, Randall. Uh, I, think, I think you, you, you kind of hit the nail, um, you hit the head on the nail, right? Like uh, I think fundamentally our approaches are quite different. Um, you know, it starts uh, for us in a, in, a, in a deep belief around um, using all the center modalities that are available to us. Um, and, uh, and, you know, our approach to this is, uh, as, as Randall has described, like, you know, we start from, from the, the product requirements and take, all, take those through all the way through to development and then, um, and then are very transparent about all of the work that we do to, um, to validate both at the component level and, and, and all the way up through to the behavior of the system. Um, so, you know, I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's two, it's two very different approaches um, to, uh, to uh, also different problems. That is very, that, that is the best answer, but I'm going to ask it a different way. Um, does it worry you that, or do you think that Tesla, does, do you think that Tesla could just mess it up for everyone else? Because that was an early fear, by the way, um, over at Google back a long time ago, which I've been told by folks um, at Tesla that they were really worried that this is like back in the self-driving product days that Tesla was going to do something that was going to kind of set the industry back in a way because of maybe an accident or something like that. And, and um, you know, suddenly there'd be a lot of attention and, and more regulations around Things. Is that a concern at all? Do you think that that this different approach could actually be a risk to the industry? Yeah, I think that um, this is another reason why transparency is so important and why uh, being open, particularly about the criteria that you're using to justify something like full self-driving or operating without um, a human operator is so important is because it allows uh, various technology developers to learn from each other, right? And this has uh, been successfully done in automotive, in aviation, and uh, it will eventually need to be the true in automation as well. And so, you know, if when there is a safety incident, and there will be more, uh, we need to ask questions like, were we using the right criteria? Uh, were there things that our safety case missed? Um, were there scenarios or considerations that were, weren't taken into account? And without a, a common framework that's shared between these developers, you really limit your learnings. And so I don't know if that ad directly addresses your question, but uh, I think for all of us who are really uh, hoping to see this technology deployed in a way that is saving lives and uh, good for truck drivers, good for uh, labor, that this is key uh, in transparency and, and working together on standards is going to be a, a key part of that that's such a great answer when, <laughs> when, when people ask me outside of 
the office, um, what I think of what Tesla's going to do, and I drive a Tesla, or, or what their chances are, I always say, well, if 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 anyone who knew anything um, believed that they were going to nail it, no one else would be capable of raising money, and the majority of money and engineers wouldn't be working at other companies building different solutions. But that's just me. That's also a very diplomatic answer because I feel like you might have stronger opinions than that. Uh, well, I mean, you know, the, maybe that's for another day. On a base level, um, as our friends from Ike pointed out, you know, moving things in a truck at any speed is different from moving things in a vehicle, a human's in a vehicle at any speed. And unless I'm putting my daughter in it, uh, no. So that's my, that's my bar. Okay. Any last words, uh, Nan- Nancy on, on that or anything else? And, and we'll definitely have you come back. Because we really want to ask you about like other trucking companies, early days. We want to hear all the stories about, you know, Apple, auto. Yeah. All the secrets. MIT. Correct. Everything. Yeah, no, I think we'd love to do this again. It was, uh, this was, this was super fun. It was uh, nice to finally get an opportunity to, to be able to speak with you all. We were really nice because we, I think we like, we like Ike. <laughs> and that's what your brand should be. Not powered by Ike, but we like Ike. Anyway. Oh, guys from Alex, and he's very good at self promotion. So it would not be an Atonicast episode if if Alex didn't offer at least some branding advice. I have a great idea. We should invite uh, Randall and and Nancy back, but using like the Peanuts parents voice modulator, and then ask them all the same questions, and then anonymously get the answers. (laughs) I I I actually have one last last question before we uh, before we wrap up. and and that is, um, you know, I it, at Pave we're very, you know, we think a lot about um, about nomenclature and how to talk about uh, this technology the right way. And there's so many different considerations. We've talked about this a bunch uh, at uh, you know on the show, um, sort of the the most pressing challenges with that, but also just the complexity. The more you get into it, and um, I've noticed that uh, Ike tends to be really like precise, like you just put out a press release um, recently where um, you even sort of parenthetically explained why you're using the words that you use. Sort of what is, uh, if you could just sort of share what, what Ike's sort of big, big thoughts on, on sort of how to talk about this technology and sort of what the, the logic behind that is. Yeah, I mean, I would say in general, like you know, we're pretty thoughtful about, um, about how we communicate we, and we, we do that internally as well. Um, because it's really important to us, you know, and doubly important now in this world in which we're all remote um, to be accurate <laughs> um, and, um, and and to like communicate the, uh, you know, both be transparent, but also communicate the the relevant pieces. Um, and so, you know, as an example, like we use, um, we prefer to use like the words automation and automated vehicle instead of self-driving or autonomous. Uh, and it's, it's nuanced, um, but, but we think, um, that, uh, that, you know, there's a bunch of reasons for why that, that support us using automation in, in, in automated vehicle instead. And, um, you know, I'd say the main argument for, for not using self-driving is that self-driving is just, there's a huge amount of confusion and misunderstanding about the usage of that word. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the reason why we prefer, um, automation or, or automated is that it's more accurate. So, you know, autonomy by definition implies a level of independent decision making that's not necessarily representative of what all AVs can do. I like what I'm hearing, Nancy. Well done. <laughs> uh, 
we could we could go on from this for a while. We we thought about it for 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 quite a bit. It's it's better grammar. It's backwards compatible. Uh, it's still historically relevant. Um, very consistent with what the regulatory agencies use. So I'll leave the I'll leave you with that. Yeah, that's a good way to. I love it. It leaves us something to talk about next time. So uh, thank you, Nancy and Randall, and thank you to our audience. Until next time on another episode of the Atomicast. 